welcome. We're glad you're taking the time to listen to today's message. Pastor Allen presented this sermon on July 21st. Today's psalm is Psalm 30. Good morning, everyone. So we're almost at the halfway mark through our psalms of the summer. We are looking at the psalms that David wrote. Uh, David wrote about 75 of the 150, and um, some would say some would say less, some would say more, but we're saying about 75. We are looking at 10 of them this summer, and today we start on the fourth psalm um, that uh, that David has written. Now, before I say anything more, let me just remind you that there's been more written about David in the scripture than about any other biblical person, uh, perhaps other than Christ. There's 66 chapters dedicated to him. Uh, here's, a, here's a sketch of David. This is actually, this is an actual picture from 3,000 years ago. No, it's not. No, nothing has been, no one has had more written about him than David, um, at least in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's 59 references to him, and we recognize that he's a significant person. In case you don't know, David was a grandfather of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the thing that we, I think most of us know the story of David and Goliath, it's this David, he's the one that grew up to be this great king. Matthew Henry said, there's so much of Christ and his gospel, as well as of God and the law, that it has been called the summary of both testaments. The Psalms are powerful. And I challenge you to read through the Psalms this summer. There's only 150 of them. Some are very, just, just two verses. Some are very short. Some are very long. Psalm 119, that'll take you one month. Um, <laughs> very, very powerful. It's, I always feel like when I'm reading the Psalms, it's like, say, uh, drinking medicine. I just instantly feel better. And so I encourage you, if you haven't been through the Psalms yet, try to get through them. It was Billy Graham who did five Psalms every day so that he could get through the Psalms in the course of a month, and then one chapter of Proverbs to get through the Proverbs every month. Um, I've tried doing that, and I'm going to tell you, it has absolutely been uh, life-transforming. So I challenge you to do that. Now, if you can't read that much, then definitely try to get through the Psalms through the course of the summer months. Now, here's the thing that uh, you need to know. David wanted to be the one to build the temple, and uh, he had it all sorted out. He called his prophet in. He said to the prophet, his prophet, uh, look, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm living in this beautiful palace of, of dressed stone, cedar, of this, this wonderful luxury. But I, I don't feel comfortable about this. I, I really feel like I need to build a palace for God. That's really what it comes down to. And, uh, and the prophet heard him out and said, man, that sounds like a good idea. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that God's presence was housed in the tabernacle, a tabernacle of God's design. A tabernacle, in case you don't know, was, was like a tent, really. And... The, the tabernacle of God was in the, in the midst of the people. It was right at the very center of Jewish life. And so everybody understood that God was with Israel. All they had to do was look to the tabernacle, and they would know that that's where God dwelt. And that's where God, God chose to dwell amongst his people, in that place called the tabernacle. It was a place 
where Israel worshiped God. They, they offered their sacrifices in atonement for their sin uh, done by these, by these priests. There's the bronze laver in case you're wondering. But God said no to David. And, and that came as a shock to the prophet because the prophet had said, David, yeah, go for it. But, but the next day, uh, through the course of the night, God spoke to the prophet and said, you got to go back to David and say, no, you can't do it. You can imagine how disappointed David was. I mean, David was called by God himself, a man after God's own heart. Incredible, inc- incredible title. Being, I mean, being able to have that said about you is the highest honor on this earth. A man after God's own heart. But God said, no, David, it's not for you. And the reason is, is because David had blood on his hands. David was a warrior who killed probably literally thousands in defense of the nation and establishing the nations. And so God said, no, you're not the one to build a temple. But that's not to say, David, that I don't love you. I do love you. I do care about you. But this is not the job I have for you. In fact, what's going to happen, David, it's going to be your son that builds the temple. And so we have here what, what we call Solomon's temple. It's a, a grand temple. Now, here's what you need to know. David was not allowed to build this temple. However, what he was allowed to do is he was allowed to gather the materials necessary to build this temple. And so that's what he does until it's time for Solomon to take over. And here's what David says to Solomon. He says in 1 Chronicles 22, 14 to 16, he says, I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. This is staggering. Listen to this. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold. 4,000 tons of gold. 40,000 tons of silver. And so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. Now, just before we go further, let me just tell you, I did some calculations, and uh, based on, on the price of gold today, we're looking at 200 and 28.5 billion Canadian dollars worth of gold. 228.5 billion dollars, Canadian dollars in gold. That was American money, be about half that. (laughs) When it comes to the silver, we're talking about 49 billion Canadian dollars worth of silver. And we don't even bother getting into how much gold or bronze and uh, iron huge, huge amounts. David says, I've also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. Wow. Now you wonder, what on earth are they going to do with all that gold? Well, much of this... uh, I'm not an expert on this. My father-in-law is here. He could, he could tell you more than I can tell you, uh, but not right now. <laughs> uh, look, at the, look at the inside of the temple. I, this is an artist's rendition, uh, and I'm not entirely sure this is what it would have looked like, uh, but we definitely see uh, motifs of the Garden of Eden. Very important to understand that, that we're, we are signaling that this is where God is dwelling. I want to just point something out to you before I go any further. 
Jesus said something very interesting, because some of you are sitting here wondering, well, all that gold, wow, what a, th- what a way to, s- to waste money on a, on a building. Jesus said something interesting. He said, where, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. I think it's really important to point this out before I go any further. For David, money meant nothing. It absolutely didn't mean anything. Gold, silver, it's precious metals, it's wonderful. But there's something far more important to David, which is, which is what brings us now into the psalm that we're going to look at this morning. It's Psalm 30. Because not only did David leave gold and silver and all kinds of precious stones and metals and materials to build the temple, he left a psalm, a psalm for his son and for the nation at the dedication of this temple, Psalm 30. Here's what, we, here's what we discover in Psalm 30, and then we'll look at it. David wants us to understand our relationship to God. God is our father, and we are his children. If you are a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what you need to know. God is your father, and you are his child. This is, this is fundamentally what Christianity is all about. It's having your sins forgiven and entering into this relationship with God. It's about a restored relationship with God. So if you could just uh, humor me this morning and just say with me, I am God's child and he is my father. Can we say it together? I am God's child and he is my father. It's critical that you get this because here's what I know after all these years in the ministry, there's a lot of people who go to church every Sunday and don't have a clue about that. They don't understand their relationship with God or they don't understand the relationship that God wants to have with us. There's a lot of people who are very religious a lot of people who go through the motions, who on the outside, they look like, man, they've got their act together. But meanwhile, their heart is utter and completely dead. It's important to understand this morning what this faith is really all about. Now, if I were the one that was commissioned to write a psalm for the dedication of the temple, here's where I would go. I would talk about the about the universe and the planets and the sun and the stars and the moon. I talk about Abraham, the father. I talk about the, the, the grandness of who God is. But David, at the dedication of the temple, at the, play, the temple that is dedicated to the worship of Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, David doesn't go there at all. You know where David goes? He goes to the fundamental truth that you and I need to understand this morning and that is that God is our father and we are his children and the question this morning is this what does that look like what does that look like in my day-to-day life so that's what we're going to look at this morning I'm looking at Psalm 30 and uh, I'm looking at just the first five verses and so in these first five verses what we're discovering is David uh, really talking about our relationship to God the father as his children. And so let's take a look at this. David says, I will extol you. I will exalt you, Lord, 
for you rescued me. You rescued you rescued to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord my God, I tried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. We see there very simply the simple childlike faith of a child relating to his father. One moment, he's, he's been disciplined and he's weeping before God. But when the morning comes, it's all past. All things are new. All things are better. And God allows this child to rejoice again. Let's just take a look at that verse. In verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now here's, here's what I know this morning. Some of you right now are actually in the weeping stage. You feel as though God is angry, that he's rejected you, that he doesn't love you, that maybe he's, he hates you. Can I just tell everybody today that just because you're under the discipline of God does not mean that he hates you? He loves you. God loves you, and he cares about you. Today, if you are his child, understand that he loves you. Things may not be going the way you expected. In fact, we have TV preachers who teach us that all things should, it, life should be perfect and great and wonderful at all times, but that's just not the reality. Every one of us here knows that. There's times when there is weeping. But the good news, if you are a child of God, is that our Father is not done with us. He's not finished with us. He's working on us. He's working in us. And although the, there may be weeping right now, the good news is that joy will come in the morning. And if you've lived for Christ, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have actually experienced this in your life. You know the work of the Father in your life. Here's what David taught his son Solomon. I believe that David taught Solomon this. Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I hated it when I was a kid and my dad corrected me. It, usually, usually there was tears involved and a little bit of sadness and maybe in a bit of anger. I bless my father today for being a faithful, loving, earthly father who, who disciplined and corrected me. In fact, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, it's a chapter that everybody should know very well. You need to study that on your own. Hebrews 12 quotes Solomon in this. Don't, don't be upset about the weeping, about the discipline. Because this is the sign that God truly loves you. In fact, it says in Hebrews that God only disciplines those that he loves. So if you are under discipline right now and there's a bit of weeping going on and a bit of struggle and you wonder where God is, don't despair. God has not forgotten about you. In fact, he's right there at your side waiting for you to learn the lesson he wants you to learn because he loves you. Now, the good news is I became a father, had my own three kids, and I began really then to understand my dad. I understood his motivation. My dad didn't want to make my life miserable. He wanted to make it fantastic. 
He wanted me to have a great life. And so he allowed me to go through this time of correction. The Lord corrects those that he loves. If there's anybody here today under the impression that God is angry at you, please understand. He may be, he may be angry with some disobedience, but behind that is a heart of love for you. And he wants you to mature. He wants you to grow because he knows. God knows that when you mature, when you grow, that's when life really starts getting good for you. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So the good news is this, folks. God has corrected me a lot, so I know he must obviously delight in me. There's nobody, I feel like nobody's been as corrected as much as I've been corrected. I have known the discipline of God in my life. And it, sometimes it feels it just doesn't let up. I Here I am, 57 years old, and God's still correcting me, still making me fall in line. But what I know is this. I know that he loves me. And how do I know? Because he tells me that. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God really delights in me. Does God delight in you? If, if you're under his discipline, then absolutely. If your life is being transformed, then absolutely, he delights in you. Now, in case you're, I, I, some people go to church and they have this really crazy understanding of, of what God does in the lives of Christians. Because you think, you may be here under the impression that, that when you became a Christian, God just wants to bless you all the time, make you happy, give you everything you want, never get sick, never, never be in financial crisis, always, everything always going perfect for you, nothing ever going wrong. Some people believe that's what God wants at all times. This is not what God wants at all times. What God wants is for you to become like Jesus. We read this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. All things work together for good for what? Work together for good so that you become like Jesus. God is at work in your life right now. He wants you to become like Jesus. Will there be blessings along the way? Of course. But what's the good of blessing if you're not like Jesus? What's the good of blessings? If you're going to hell, those are strong words. But you need to understand today what, what we're talking about. We're talking about the difference between having a life or living a life that is fit for heaven versus a life that is fit for this earth. I don't know about you, but I want to be ready for heaven. This world, the Bible tells us, is not my home. The Bible says clearly that I am a foreigner and a stranger in this world. Are you with me on this? This world is not our home. This is not where we belong. You say, well, I didn't know that. Well, you have to read your Bible and you'll find that out. Read, Romans, uh, read Hebrews chapter 11. Every one of those people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 are people who understand what the life of faith really is. And this life of faith produces a hunger, a thirst for that heavenly city, that heavenly place. We call it the kingdom of God. Let's get back to David here for a moment. David makes it clear that those who are at the dedication, 
that what really matters is your relationship with God. Are you open to what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life? My child, don't, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you want to know what our faith is all about, it's not about the buildings and all the trappings. It's all about your relationship to God. And so when David is, is, is doing this marvelous psalm for the dedication of the temple, he's telling everybody, hey, guys, at the end of the day, it's not about all the gold, all the silver, all the bling. It's about a relationship to God. If your heart's far from God, it's, it's all over. I'm going to tell you something right now. This is, this is exactly what Martin Luther rose up and protested against. This is why we're pro Protestants, Protestants. We're protesting the abuse that happened in Martin Luther's lifetime. We have popes that are sending out envoys to raise money to build St. Peter's Cathedral, which I've been to, and it is absolutely a spectacular building. And you would think, aha, this is a worthy capital for God. If you've ever been to the Vatican, this is a worthy place to call the headquarters of Christianity. And so what did they do to raise money? They said, well, if you give money, we are going to spring... There's a, there's a, I, can't, I can't, can't recite the, the little uh, joke, but it, basically it said, when you give money, you spring your loved ones out of hell, out of purgatory, and they'll go straight to heaven. Give enough money, and you can get your whole family going to heaven, and it doesn't matter what they did. We called them indulgences. And so these, these envoys from Rome were raising millions and millions from the poorest of the poor. And it was to this that Martin Luther said, this has nothing to do with God. This has nothing to do with Christianity. And so he protested because at the end of the day, it's not the beauty of the cathedral or the temple or how much gold or how much silver. What matters is your relationship to God. Are you living as a child of God, submitting to the Father because you are a child of God? I'm going to tell you right now, folks, history is littered with pastors and preachers and popes and priests and bishops and archbishops who are not converted, whose lives have not been transformed. What you need to make sure of today is that you are truly converted. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I grew up in a Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostal church, Pentecostal heritage, just to be clear. I, I remember experiencing the power of God in my life, which brought me to conversion. But here's what I've discovered over the years. Not everybody who goes to church is converted. And not everybody who has said a sinner's prayer is converted. The thing that concerns me deeply as a pastor is that we have many people now going to church who are not converted. Look, at, I'm not judging or condemning anybody my job is to help you understand what it means to be a Christian. And just because you were baptized or just because you became a member of a church or just because you attend church or just because you put money in the offering plate, that doesn't make you a Christian. 
Conversion means that you've come to God in full repentance and you understand that you are lost in need of a Savior. That's why Jesus is called our Savior, because we need a Savior. We don't need a financial guru, we don't need a physician. We don't need a lawyer. We don't need a doctor. What we need is Jesus, our Savior, because that is our real need. And it's Jesus Christ who brings us into his family when you put your faith in him. Understand, folks, that this is basic to the Christian faith. When you are converted, when you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. You become one of God's people. Read Romans chapter 8 in case you're wondering. God wants us to know through King David that playing religious games and being religious doesn't cut it. What needs to happen is you need to surrender your life to Christ. Now, after you've done that, and if you understand that, then you are called a saint. That's what Paul, or that's what uh, David says in verse 4. He's saying, sing to the Lord, all you saints. Praise his holy name. He's He's talking to people who are converted. If you are converted today, you are a saint. You thought, Pastor, I thought only Roman Catholics uh, had saints. The fact of the matter is, is that if you're a Christian today, you are a saint. You're looking at a saint, St. Alan. I'll get pictures for you, you put up in your house. <laughs> and then beside my picture, you can put your picture if you're, if you're converted, if you're a Christian. We're talking to people who are Christians. We're talking to God's people, people who belong to God. And so David then points out what absolutely every single human being goes through. It's called the pattern, I I call it the pattern of the saints. And the first thing that happens, and we'll read about it here, verses six to seven. David says, when I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. This is something that absolutely everybody here has gone through or maybe is in the process of going through at the moment. God helps you. You get on your feet. You, your life is misery. And I'm talking to people who are Christians. If you're not converted, this is not, this is, you just listen. This is not for you, but those of you who are saints, who are converted, who are true Christians. God helps you. Get out of your, your crazy life. You're caught in addictions. You're... you're financial disaster you're you're no career this life is difficult it's a struggle you're rebellious you're a little anarchist but God in his mercy reaches down and rescues you and he gets you on your feet and you're singing the songs of praise look what God has done for me you are humbled by God's goodness and things began to change and things get better and you've got a career now and you've got a business, and you've got wealth, and you've got property, and you've got homes, and you've got, uh, you've, you've got real estate, and you, you've, uh, you've got a nice house and a nice car, and you look at your family as ideal, and, and you've got a name for yourself. People know who you are, and you begin to think, wow, I really am pretty amazing. Look at my life now. 
Nothing can stop me now. And pride sets in. We become just a little bit arrogant. We start to brag just a little bit. Do you see what I did? Do you see what I accomplished? Do you see, you see the wonderful things I do for God? Do you see the wonderful things I do for the church? Do you see the wonderful things I do? I'm, pretty, I'm really quite amazing, aren't I? Look at me in my pink jacket. I'm amazing. You never saw such a good-looking pastor. Well, that's, a, that's what my wife says. I hope. <laughs> you can bring God into it. Look what I'm doing for God. God favors me. I'm, I'm probably more blessed than anybody in this church. And the next thing you know, you think, well, what's going on? You're telling everybody about how smart you are. See how brilliant I am. See what I can achieve. Look, look what I have. Look at my position. And then God drops the hammer. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. We're talking about saints here now. People who put their faith in Christ, put their faith in God. And you'd be tempted to think, in your shattered state, that God has forgotten about me, God doesn't love me anymore. God, where are you? And I'm going to tell you right now, God does not hate you. He loves you. And, and this is why we began by pointing out, God is your Father. He loves you. And He's not going to let you go on bragging about how nothing can stop you now. You didn't get to where you are on your own. You got to where you are because of the grace and the mercy and the love and the power of God. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. If you've ever read the book of Isaiah, then you know that God has declared he will not share his glory with anyone. Not even with you. The Westminster Confession in the 15th century declares that the purpose, the chief end of man is to bring glory to God and not to you. So you don't brag about yourself and you certainly don't brag about how nothing can stop you now. And so David says, oh, my life is in a shambles. Lord, I, I thought you made me as secure as a mountain, but now I'm shattered. Delson, some of you know Delson. He is our director of uh, the Villages of Hope in Burundi that we've raised money for. I got, we've got almost 300 kids there, maybe 300 or more. Uh, thrilling what's happening there. And also, we've got 47 churches in Burundi. And Delson is our man on the ground there. He's the man that's doing the work. Well, he was here in February. We had him over for a farewell dinner before going back to Burundi, and we uh, we all we all wanted to encourage him. Everybody was sharing wonderful things about Delson. Delson, you're wonderful. You're brilliant. You're smart. You're godly. You're spiritual. Nobody is spiritual as you. Nobody is great as you. And people are praying, "Oh God, thank you for this great man of God. He's the best best thing that ever happened to the whole wide world." And on and on and on it was going. And I felt a check in my spirit. Now understand something. I love Delson, and I believe he's a humble, godly man without a doubt but I felt the spirit of God telling me to pray 
a prayer that brings glory not to Delson, but to God. In fact, isn't that what every prayer should be? So I began to pray, and I said, God, keep your hand on Delson, and God, protect him from the pride that can so easily infect his heart. And I prayed on like that. God, God, use him for your glory and for your honor. And my prayer went on and on like that. And now I was the last one to pray. And right after I prayed, he burst out crying. And, and, and crying like I'd never heard anybody, much less a man, never heard anybody like that cry. I never heard anybody cry like that. I knew what was going on. I think everybody else there was kind of shocked. They didn't know what to do, didn't know where to look. But as soon as he got back to Burundi, he sent me a text. And he said, Pastor Allen, thank you for that prayer. He understood the danger of taking glory to himself. And can I remind everybody of something today? This is the temptation that absolutely every single one of us faces. Everybody here today faces that. It's called pride. I'm going to get my own life together. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to... This is pride. At the heart of every sin is pride. God, I don't need you. I'll do it myself because nothing can stop me now. This was the pride, the arrogance of Satan himself. It was why Satan was thrown out of heaven. A man of God, a woman of God comes humbly before God and surrenders and submits and acknowledges that if it were not for God, you would not even have breath in your lungs. So where do we go from there? Well, we get to the next verses. <laughs> God, you've shattered my life. And then David says, I cried out to you, Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy. By the way, if your life is shattered right now, this is for you. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can I tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. Christian, if you're here today feeling shattered, the Spirit of God is speaking to you and showing you your pride. It doesn't mean God hates you. It just means how, well, he just wants you to know how much he loves you. And what you need to do is you need to acknowledge your condition before the Lord right now. And you need to cry out to him for mercy. We call this repentance. By the way, Repentance is the missing ingredient in Christianity in North America right now. No pastor calls anybody to repentance anymore. Repentance is for people that have sandwich boards walking down the street saying, repent for the end is near. We mock at these guys and laugh at them, but I'm going to tell you their message is spot on. When Peter preached the message in Acts, and the people asked, what must I do to be saved? Repent and believe in, the, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what David's talking about here. Listen, if we're going to dedicate a temple that's about the worship and the relationship with Almighty God, then you need to understand you have to walk in humility before God, and if you're not, you need to repent. A brilliant psalm, I think. 
for the dedication of a temple? Repent. David knows all about repentance. David the adulterer, David the murderer, David the taker of a census. I don't know if you, did you ever hear about that? Some of you don't know about that. David took a census. In his pride and his arrogance, he's, he's trying to figure out what all does he have? What all is he the Lord of? And God tells David, you've got three choices for punishment. Three years of famine, three months of fleeing before your enemies, or three days of plague. And David did not want to be at the mercy of men. He wanted to be at the mercy of God. And so he chose the plague that killed 70,000 people. I'm going to ask you a question. What's it going to take for you to repent of your sin? What's it going to take for you to get your life right with God? Because here's what I know about my God, God my Father. is God my Father doesn't let me get away with anything because he loves me. If you're a good parent, by the way, you won't let your kids get away with anything. In fact, if you're a good parent, you're not going to let your kids win any battles. You're going to win every single one of them. But that's a side note, free of charge. <laughs> God wants to make sure that your heart is right with him and that your relationship is what it needs to be. You see, Pastor Allen, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm confessing my sin. I'm asking God to forgive me. I'm repenting. I'm turning away from my sin. I want my relationship with God back. Some of you remember the first days when you became a Christian. You were so on fire for God. And something happened along the way. And you've lost your fire. You've lost your enthusiasm. You've lost your excitement. And here's what you need to do. Come before God in repentance. Have your sins washed away. Get back on track and get the fire back. Amen? And then what happens after that, after I repent? Well, the good news is God forgives you. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing, David says. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Hey, what happens in the house of God? What happens at the tabernacle? What happens in the temple of God? I'll tell you, it's called worship. We are a people who worship God, who celebrate our sins being forgiven. What are you doing here when you worship God? What are you doing when you're singing? If you're not singing and rejoicing over God's forgiveness and, and God's love for you, then I don't know what you're singing about. But this is, what, this is what David envisioned for us as we worship God. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. What's David celebrating? His sins have been forgiven. Yes, he did commit murder. He did commit adultery. He did take a census and numerous other sins, but God forgave him every one of his sins. Are you rejoicing over what God has forgiven you? I'm going to tell you, that's what a true child of God is, is somebody who understands God's forgiveness, God's mercy, his love. I gotta tell you, um, if your sins have been forgiven, if you know what that's like, I'm gonna tell you, for me, that is the absolute best thing that ever happened to me. 
How do I know if you're converted? If you can say with me, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. In Psalm 32, verse 1, David says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. There's nothing better to have your heart washed clean. I remember when I was converted, when I became a Christian, I knew that God had forgiven me my sin. I felt like I could fly. I could float on air. My sins were gone. There's nothing that compares to that. By the way, if, your sins, if you feel your sins have not been forgiven, you can have that. Right today, right now, all you have to do is repent and ask God to forgive you of your sin. Your sins will be washed away and you'll be flying out of here. There's nothing greater in all the world. This is exactly what worship of God is all about. It's not... It's not about the bells, the whistles, the cathedrals, the temples, the spires, the bell, the whistles, the, the, the on and on it goes, the robes and the candlesticks. It's not about that at all. That means absolutely nothing. It's not in the Bible. Go look. It's not even there. It's all man-made. It's all, it's all counterfeit. What matters is that your heart as a child is right with God the Father. Would you stand with me, please? God, we thank you today for your word that shows us what it means to be truly converted. God, there's some who have been coming to church for years and not converted yet. But God, we're not saying this in judgment or condemnation, but in love. This is an appeal. This is a gospel appeal to come to Jesus, confess sin, and start living a life in obedience to Christ. Father, thank you today for your love for us. Thank you that you do not turn us away. Every single person who cries out to God, you will hear them, Lord, and you will answer because of your great love. So, Father, for those who have been overwhelmed by sin, overwhelmed by, by their problems, help them to see that they need to turn to you, to cry out for help, to confess the sin of pride and arrogance and come in full surrender. God, your word tells us clearly that, uh, that you, you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. And so, Father, in humility we come to you and ask that you forgive us our sin and draw us close to your heart and fill us again with joy and dancing for your great namesake. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you.